Thank you, Kevin. There we go. We got it. Hey, hey, Redeemer. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 3. And uh, as you make your way to Ruth chapter 3, let me give you a heads up on uh, where we are in this book. Uh, Four chapters in Ruth, so we'll finish it up in two weeks. We are obviously in chapter 3. And um, Ruth began with a famine uh, because of idolatry of his people. And a family left Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And it's the irony that there is no bread in the house of bread. And they went into Moabite territory. And that was kind of a no-no. Like God wanted, wants his people to endure his discipline and to trust him rather than run away from him. And they did. And while they were in Moab, um, Naomi's husband dies. And her two sons, they also die. And so uh, the story pivots when Naomi hears that there is uh, bread back in Bethlehem. And so she leaves, and Ruth is the daughter-in-law that goes with her. And up to this point, Ruth is a sojourner. She's a gleaner. She's a beggar. And each day for what I think is about two to three months, she goes out and she gleans and she brings food back to her mother-in-law. Chapter 2 ends with that caveat that she lived with her, mo- her mother-in-law and she gleaned until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. Those harvests would often overlap. And so we think that there is a gap between Ruth, three, uh, Ruth 2 and Ruth 3, perhaps two or three months where Ruth has gotten up every day to work and to serve. And the tide starts to change in Ruth 4. No, Ruth 3, I'm sorry. The tide changes in Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after the young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. 
And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave me. For he said, you must not go back empty-handed your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle this matter today. Amen. Pray with me. Our Father, we need uh, understanding. We need light. Father, I pray that you will indeed give that to your servant and your people. Build us up, Lord. Help us to see the wonderful things from your law. Lord, help us to see Jesus even here. It reminds us that all of the law and the prophets and the writings are about him. And so in one sense, Lord, we're looking at Boaz. We're looking at what happens on the threshing floor. But we also have to keep an eye open, Lord, to what would happen on Calvary when the greater husband came. And so, Lord, help us to be fair to this text, to see what's here and to see what it points to. I pray that for me um, and for your people. ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, what does God desire uh, for Ruth and Naomi? Uh, thus far, they're back in the land. Thus far, they're probably in a borrowed house. Thus far, they're eating their daily bread. They're getting grain as she goes and gleans. Um, is that it? Or does God want more? Does he want them in Bethlehem uh, surviving? Or does he want them in Bethlehem thriving? Does he want more than them living as they are right now together in this home, depending on the generosity of landowners? Or does he want something bigger than they can imagine? This passage is about rest. It's about the rest that Naomi wants for Ruth, but I think it's ultimately the rest that God wants for them. Now, why, why am I saying it's about rest? Notice the opening verse. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? So everything that's happening here is about rest. Look how the passage ends. Look at the last line. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. It's a sandwich. It begins with rest and it ends with rest. And so everything happening in this passage is about God giving rest to these women. And so that's the first point. The rest and restoration that Naomi wants for Ruth. Our second point will be the risk associated with gaining this rest. It's risky. And the last thing we're going to see is the Redeemer who joyfully gives this rest. So, the rest and restoration that Naomi wants for Ruth and that God wants for them, I just shows you that the passage is about rest. And I think the way it's happening is, is, is Ruth has been out working for two to three months, perhaps. And finally, one morning that it dawns on Naomi 
that, wait a minute, there's something you prayed about that hasn't been answered. It hasn't happened yet. And so don't get comfortable with this existence. You actually prayed for something in your bitterness. Now, turn with me back over to Ruth chapter 1, verse 9. Two pages. Notice what Naomi, this was before they made it back. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. Then in verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. And so it's here, two chapters later, that this theme of rest comes up, that she had prayed this, this benediction over these girls. May the Lord bless you and give you rest. And two chapters later, the Lord is like, you pray for this back there, and I want to give it to her. I want to give it to her. And guess who I'm going to use to bring about this rest? I'm going to use you, Naomi. You're older. You're wiser. You know the lay of the land. You know all the cultural things that are at play in this passage. I'm going to use you to give this woman rest. I'm going to put a plan in your mind, and the plan will give her rest. But think about Ruth's posture thus far. She's the one who left her mother in her father's house. She's the one who's traveled back to Bethlehem. She's the one that's been going out every day to get grain. She's the one who's made a covenant with Naomi that I will die next to you that she has been on the giving end of kindness from the first chapter of the book. And here you start to see a turn. And the turn is this, that the same kindness she is giving to Naomi, that Boaz picks up on, that this kindness that you've gone after me, and Boaz is probably an older gentleman, and you might remember that dialogue back in, that, in the field, when Boaz tells Ruth, you follow my young women, you follow my young women, I've charged the young men not to touch you. And then when Ruth goes back and when Ruth gets back home and tells Naomi, Naomi says, well, well, Ruth says, Naomi, he told me to stay by his young men. And then Ruth is like, no, nah. I mean, Naomi says, no, nah, I don't think you heard that right. He wants you to stay by the young women, lest you be assaulted in the field. And then you see this passage, this theme of young and old come back up again. I think Boaz is on to something. And she's been kind. And what God wants for her, the one who has been given kindness, is to receive kindness. And at that word for rest, it's used in Genesis chapter 8, when the dove went out after the flood, searching for a resting place. Imagine the image. The world is flooded and a dove is sent out and it's looking for somewhere to land to show that there, the, the earth is drying up and there was no resting place for it. You're in, if you have the NIV, it translates resting. The, the rest here, it uses the, the language home as in a house, as in a family. Psalm, 16, Psalm, uh, Psalm 116, it uses it a different way, that it speaks of rest um, 
for the soul. I love the Lord. He heard my voice, my pleas for mercy. Gracious is the Lord and righteous and merciful. When I was brought low, he saved me when I called out. Return, O my soul, to your rest. And so the question that we have to ask is, what type of rest does Naomi want for Ruth? It's all of the above. He wants her to have a home. She wants her to find rest for her soul. She wants a change in her identity. Everywhere you go, you're known as the sojourning, widowed Moabite who came back with me. I don't want that cloud looming over you. I want you to be engrafted. I want you to be a citizen here. That's the rest that Naomi wants. And here's the question. Do you believe that God desires that? You see, I think God is up to something. You remember how Ruth started? Idolatry, famine, they leave, they get married, their marriages fall apart because of death, and there are no children. Now, that, that, that's the situation. It's all of that. And notice by the end of the book, what is God going to do? He's going to reverse all of that. I'm going to, you're going to, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And you're going to turn and come back to my land. And when you get back to my land, it's going to be in the barley season. But there are two other parts of that that are undone. She's still a widow and grieving. And she still doesn't have a kid. And so what is God up to? He is not up to just getting them back to survive. He's getting them back to completely reverse their fortunes. All the years, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the heartache that you have endured. I'm the God who wants to fix it and reverse all of it from the top to the bottom. Now, that's the question. What type of God is he? He's a God who wants complete restoration. He's a God who does not take delight in the suffering of his people. He's a God who doesn't take delight hardship. He's a God who wants to lift up our souls He's a God who wants to give us a resting place in him. He's a God who wants us to experience rest upward and outward and inward and towards creation. He is an all of us God who wants all parts of us to be restored. And that's what he wants in this passage. And we believe in the gospel God gives us that. And the next thing we see in this passage is the risk that's associated with this risk. Now, y'all, this is a, a, a steamy passage, so to speak, right? That you can go read 20 different commentaries and they're all going to tell you a lot is going on. So here are some thoughts, uh, my thoughts about this before we dive into it. First, this is about risk. I just showed you that. It's also, notice what Naomi says at the beginning, that I'm seeking rest for you, that it may be well with you, that it may be good with you. And so whatever they're after is good. 
And here's what we know about the characters in this book, especially from chapter 2, that they're behaving with utmost piety. That Boaz is doing what is right and holy in the Lord. That Ruth is not stealing, but she is gleaning, right? That she is working hard day and night, that they are using God's word to guide behavior. And this is exactly what's happening here, uh, that, that, that Boaz even here calls Ruth, you're a worthy woman for all my fellow townsmen know that you're worthy. That, in verse 11, that you're upstanding, you're holy, you've been here long enough and we've watched your character. It's the way that Boaz is introduced in Ruth chapter 2. He's a worthy man. Everyone in the town knows that he's upright. And so what you see happening here, their means is also good as the ends they're pursuing. So I don't think anything risque happens here. And so, there are some cultural things here that are easily missed, and I'll do my best to kind of unpack some of the things happening here. So first thing, the window's closing. The harvest is coming to an end, and the the likelihood that Ruth will have this type of day-to-day interaction with Boaz is the the window's kind of closing. And so Naomi is is on this plan. I got a plan. I'm going to play matchmaker right here. And her plan is this. Hey, go to the threshing floor. Well, I don't I don't thresh grain. I don't even you know what what is a threshing floor? If you were harvesting barley or harvesting wheat, you would cut it and bring it in. And then you would get to the threshing floor. Usually it's an elevated plane where it's slightly more windy, and you take the grain after you've cracked it, and you would throw it in the air. And the chaff, the stuff that you shouldn't eat, would just kind of blow, and the grain, which is heavier, would fall to the ground. And then you would get that and and harvest that. And so Boaz is at the threshing floor. Now, why is Boaz at the threshing floor at the end of the harvest? We think that he's protecting his grain that he's given his employees the night off, that he's there. And he's celebratory, right? Because last week he gave Ruth uh, a, a morsel of bread and dipped it in wine. And that was just at the beginning. So imagine his posture at the end. And Naomi knows he's celebrating. The, season, the harvest season is over. He's going to be resting. You catch him down there and you let him have a meal. You let him have a glass of Cabernet or, or Pinot. And he, he is relaxing. He is enjoying God's creation and enjoying God's goodness. And don't you go until he is relaxing. That's the plan. Go to the threshing floor. He'll be there alone. Then she says, oh, yeah, take a bath, put some perfume on and put some new clothes on. Right. Now, if you were a Jew reading this for the first time, put on clothes, take a bath, and put on some perfume, you're probably thinking, oh, what what is she about to go and do? Especially if you understand the book of Genesis. Who was the father of the Moabites? It was a man by the name of Moab. Well, how did Moab get here? Moab was born when Lot's daughter 
waited until Lot had too much to drink. And she went and laid with her daddy and their son was named Moab, who is the father of the Moabites. So imagine reading this. If you're a Jew, you hear a Moabite who's going to the threshing floor after this guy and probably has something to drink. Oh, this is not going to turn out good. But it does turn out good, right? There's a combination of words here that we need to link together. It's this idea of washing, of putting on clothes, and anointing. That is not sexual. But if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, David and Bathsheba lost their child. And David would not eat. David would not bathe. David would not change clothes. Because he was praying and petitioning. For the Lord to spare their child. And the Lord did not spare the child. And when the Lord took the child and David got wind of it, these same three words are used. David washed, he took a bath. David anointed himself, and David put on new clothes. Why? He was wearing the attire of someone in mourning. Y'all know what happened to Ruth's husband? He died. We think she's in mourning attire. And on this day, Naomi says, wash, put on clothes, anoint yourself. This isn't sexual. He's actually saying, you've mourned long enough. You're free now to love. You see what's happening there? And then she says, watch. And wait till he's alone. Go when he has fallen asleep. And so she goes there that night. And then she goes there and, and Boaz is sleeping with an outer garment. He has inner garments and outer garments on. The outer garments are long and flowing. And she says, go there and uncover his feet. And we're like, what? Go and uncover his feet? What does that mean? If you lived in the 80s, then you probably remember being in grade school or middle school. And let's say you're a guy and you like this girl and you would write this little note, and you would fold it up, and you were like, will you go with me? And you would send that note across the room, and it would be given to your friend who would give it to their friend who would give it to their friend, and then it would make it to this girl. Will you go with me, yes or no, right? And she would check yes or no and send that note back, right? And so that's how we did it. Hey, just will you go with me? Or you do like I did when I'm Wanted to get reacquainted with my wife. I, I found an old hotmail email she sent me that was like two years old. Now, if Naomi were here today and hear us talking about hotmail and Instagram and will you go with me, go where, right? These are cultural things that people in the moment understand, but that people removed from the moment have to do the hard work of saying, what's going on here? Now, did you notice that Boaz is never confused in this passage? 
when Ruth goes and lays at his feet and uncovers his garment, and she actually says, spread your wings over me. What you mean, wings? If I hear, I'm like, we don't have wings. What are you talking about? But he says, I will do exactly what you say. There is no confusion on Boaz's part. In that cultural moment, he knew exactly what Ruth was doing. By uncovering his feet and rolling back the garment and laying there for the night at his feet. You know what she was telling him? I want you to take me as your wife. And I want you to cover me and to love me and to care for me and to marry me. And I'm going to sit right here on the floor of a threshing floor. And I'm going to stay the night so that you know that I don't have cold feet. And I'm putting the ball in your court, big boy. Now, here's the thing. She's actually calling him to do what he, what he just said. Do y'all remember in chapter 2? Do you remember what Boaz said to her in chapter 2? In chapter 2, here's what Boaz said to her. The Lord repay you for what you have done. Chapter 2, verse 12. May the Lord give you a full reward, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And in chapter 3, Ruth says, you know those wings of God you told me I'm taking refuge under? How about God use you to be those wings for me? How about that? This is her. You know how taking a risk. You know how this could have went wrong in a million different ways? What if somebody saw him? What would her reputation be then? Boaz is like, man, who are you? This, what are you doing? She's younger, he's older. Has this been your plan from the beginning? to coddle up next to me, to, to bend my heart because you want to take advantage of me? Like, like this could have went wrong in a hundred million ways. And yet, God is in it. I think what we're learning here is that Christianity isn't always predictable and neat and tidy. That sometimes this quest for obedient peace is risky. Sometimes pursuing discipleship may take us into these moments that are just hard and complex. I mean, think about Jesus as this woman with this issue of blood comes up to him and touches his garment. Do you know how risky that is? Will he cast me away? Will he be unclean? Will he call me out? Will he embarrass me? Can he not heal me? Like, like these moments in the Gospels when these people come to Jesus, there's effort there, there's intentionality, but it's risky. And we believe in a God who works, even in situations like this that make us uncomfortable to read about. Even in situations in life that you might find yourself in, 
These are redemptive moments that God uses. May we not be raising Christians who always want God to fit in a box, who only take calculated risks, who do not leave room for him to do far more than we can ask or think. Risky. Which moves us into our final point. There's a redeemer who joyfully gives this rest. He's going to give them a family and a place and land and people. Now, why would Naomi have her gaze set on Boaz? That all in this book, Boaz is introduced as a relative of her husband, who is a worthy man, who's from the clan of Elimelech. Now, that's important because Boaz and Elimelech, which is Naomi's deceased husband, are not just from the same tribe who live in the same city. They got agreement there. But, but, but what, what the author of Ruth has been telling us all along, they're even in the clan level related. And therefore, they know, they know that we have providentially met this guy who is a fellow Israelite, who's from the same city, same tribe, and he's in a clan. They're checking off all the boxes. Now, why? Because in Israel, two things mattered. One was the continuing of the family name. And two, it was the keeping of the family land. And that goes all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham. Through you, the families of the earth will be blessed, and I will give you land, a place. And when they go into the promised land, they divide the land up by tribe, and each tribe gets their own land. So God cares about those two things. And so when bitter providences hit someone in Israel, there was a playbook that Israel had to go to to teach them how to deal with the bitter providences. It's like watching the NFL. And if you're watching the NFL, sometimes you will hear commentators say, well, the math says you need to go for a two-point conversion or just the extra point, right? They're doing some type of computing in percentages to come up with this. And then you will also hear them say, we are in four down territory. What that means is we got a score right now. And so we're going to scrap this part of the playbook. We're going to set it aside. I need our four or five best plays that can get us in the end zone. Well, Israel had a playbook. When bitter providences came upon a fellow Israelite, God says, I got a playbook for that. And the playbook was about the leveret marriage and kinsman redeemer. That those two things were important because one helps Israel perpetuate the family name and the other helps Israel keep the family land when bitter providences come upon an Israelite. And so... Deuteronomy 25, the leveret law. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. 
her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. And the first son she bears by the brother shall succeed the name of the dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Whoa. You hear that? Now, we don't practice that today. But back then, if a wife loses her husband, her brother, or her brother-in-law, will be commanded by God to give her a son. But that son would not be his son. That son would carry the name of her deceased husband. That his name would not be blotted out of Israel. That his name would not be forgotten. That his likeness would not be stamped off the face of the earth. And then you get the land, the, the land piece. In Leviticus 25, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of the Jubilee. In the Jubilee year, it shall be released and the property returned to the original owner. Whoa. Guess what? Boaz can do them both. He's from the same clan. Now, he and Elimelech are not blood brothers, but Boaz is marching to the spirit of the law. And Boaz realizes that there is another redeemer, someone closer to Elimelech than him. And Boaz is willing and does the work of trying to find this guy and tell this guy, hey, you're next in line, not me. So he's behaving with the utmost integrity. But here's the thing to remember. He's willing. I'll do it. I'll honor you. Now, do you see the willingness here? He sends her home so that no one will think wrong of her. He gives her grain. He says, hey, you should not go back, go back home empty-handed. And that's the same thing that Naomi said in chapter 2. I left full and I come back empty. And Boaz is like, no, I'm not sending her home empty. You're not going to be empty. Your lot is going to be full. And some scholars actually think that what Boaz is actually doing here is giving Naomi confidence. This is a bride price or a bride pledge. It's like they're sending signals. It's like Naomi is over here. Go at the threshing floor. Put on some clothes. You're out of mourning. Lay at his feet. And Ruth is like, okay. And Boaz is hearing and seeing all that's happening and he knows exactly what Naomi is up to. And so he says, OK, I'm going to send something back for you. I'm going to send her with some grain. And when Naomi gets the grain, it's like Boaz is giving a wink to her. I got you. They got something going on where they're communicating to each other. And Ruth is kind of in the middle. But did you notice his willingness? He says, I'll do it. He sends her back. And there's a textual thing that if you write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to write here. Look right there at the end of verse 15. It says, then she went into the city. In the Hebrew Bible, it's not a she. 
It says, then he went into the city. So he gave her barley. He put barley on her, and then he went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, and so it's this image that when this happens, he sends her home, and he immediately gets to work. And so notice what happens. When she shows up, look at verse 18. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. When? Today. He didn't send me a sign. He not even waiting till tomorrow. He going to fix this today. Do you see his willingness? Now, did you notice Naomi wants rest for Ruth. That's the first verse. What is Boaz doing? Don't go until he's resting. Wait till he's sleeping. Wait till he is resting. And did you notice how the passage ends? He will not rest until you have rest. You see what's happening there? This dude is chilling. He kind of minding his own business, and, and then he's interrupted because this woman needs rest, and then he gets up out of his rest and goes straight into the city and goes straight to work because he can't stand to see them being restless like they are. That's beautiful. Now, a few things. I want to close with these little applications. What do we make of this? First thing, a part of the rest that Naomi wants for Ruth is in marriage between one man and one woman who love the Lord and care for one another, who do this dance of submitting, loving, and serving, and sacrificing, and journeying life together. This book is pro-marriage. It is pro the goodness and the grace of God and the rest of God and the protection of God and the mediation of vulnerability that we can find in marriage. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Let not the world taint what God has made beautiful. And I know we have people who are single here. And God meets that need in numerous other ways, in which we'll get to here shortly. But marriage is good. Marriage is a part of what God is doing to restore. When bitter providences, this is a second takeaway, when bitter providences rip through the lives of God's people, there has to be a playbook that some of us will turn to to help them. Naomi is pursuing rest for Ruth. Naomi will not get remarried. She is thinking about this other person, her daughter-in-law. Boaz is 
is, is, is going to give rest, so help him God. And what you see happening here is God's people are coming around this sojourning, poor, Moabite woman to give her the rest of God and the shalom of God. And we're not doing Leverite marriages, and we're not living after the kinsman redeemer laws. But the last I checked, God still cares that we care about the widows. He cares that we make time for the orphans. He cares that those of us who are drinking deeply of his rest will also be those that God uses to give rest and restoration to others. We can't say, may the Lord bless you and you come under the care of his wings and not be willing to open up our own hearts and lives. What motivates us to do this? It's only when we see that this passage points us to the ultimate redeemer. You see, we believe that there was one who was resting at the right hand of God, who had been with God all of eternity. And there was one who saw the problem of sin and the fall of humanity. And there was one who says, Father, I will go. I will leave your right hand and I will leave glory. And I will go and make a journey not into the city, but I will make a journey to the earth and I will become like them. I will breathe their air and walk their roads and I will do this to redeem them, to buy them back. And I will take them who are strangers and sojourners on this earth and I will cover them with my grace. I will change the very essence of their identity. They are no longer strangers of God, but they will be sons of the Most High God. I will engraft them into the family and they will have a future and they will have a hope and they will have a husband. Who is more faithful than any man who walks this earth? Who is patient and tender and present and sacrificial and near his people? I will be the one in Ezekiel when you covered your garment over your people and they ran after their idols. I'm going to be the one. I'll go back and I'll win them and I'll die for them. And I'll bring them home and I will give them shalom. I will give them rest and they will be mine. And I have a home that I'm building for them right now. And one day I'm coming again and I will take them to be with me and they will be with me forever. And there is no weeping. There is no sickness. There is no sorrow. There is no sadness that what Boaz is doing is pointing us to the one that's greater than him. And when we find our rest in the one that's greater than Boaz, then and only then can we be those who give the rest that we've received to those who are searching.
May that be true for us. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We love you. We thank you for your word and the good news that's ours even in the Old Testament. Thank you, Jesus, for reminding us that all of the law, all of the prophets, all of the writings, they're about you. And so as we see these characters walking with integrity and making sacrifice and taking risk, that we're reminded of the risky endeavor that you took on to redeem us. And so, Father, satisfy us with your love and your grace. Make us like you, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.